Do you like exclusive stuff? Yes, yes sir. sir. Do you like having access to your favourite podcast hosts in a way like never before? Yeah, absolutely. Do you wish you had access to our old Survivor Oz episodes that you can't find anywhere else online? Oh, yeah. If you answered yes to one, two or all of those questions, then get excited because the Oz Network is now on Patreon. <laughs> That's right, your favourite podcast has jumped on the Patreon bandwagon to enable a better listening experience for you, our listener. For more details, simply head to www.patreon.com forward slash oznetwork where you can sign up for as little as $3 a month. It'll be the best decision you make since that last bad one you made. You're listening to the Oz TV podcast, only on the Oz Network. It is the Oz Network coming to you once again for another interview episode in the lead up to our 24 series coverage. We have got a returning guest today, a guy who appeared on this show three years ago to talk about his role on Nick Tuck. He's back to talk about his role on 24. Philip Reese is his name, and we're going to hear from him in just a second. My name is Ben. We don't do this anymore in interviews, but I don't know how else to handle this, so I'm just going to say my name is Ben and I'm not a terrorist. And my name is Colin and I'm not Ben. Thank God for that. One of us is enough. <laughs> we don't need more than that. Um, you obviously weren't on our, our last chat with uh, Phil a couple of years ago. I assume you never listened to it because you're not a Nip Tuck fan, so it meant nothing to you. But, um, I, I mean, did you, outside of 24, are you familiar with Phil, some of Phil's work? So you do mention sort of a little bit in this interview. Yeah, you know, when you start to click through a person's filmography, you're like, oh, yeah, yeah I think I've seen that. I think I've seen that. Uh, obviously, this is the thing that I you know, associate him the most with. Uh, but uh, there, there is, I wish we had a chance to talk to him about it, but he he was in a good episode of Doctor Who as well, as a lot of people we interview seem to be. Um, but Matt, he's, uh, he's, he's somebody who really remembers his role well. I think that's uh, what's exciting about this, is it we'll start interviews sometimes of like, you know, you're going to have to jog my memory, but he's like, no, he, he knows the in and outs. It's like, he's his own walking Wikipedia page. Which is good because that means that we don't have to read the Wikipedia page to sound extra smart exactly. if we haven't quite covered those episodes yet. But uh, here is our chat, uh, our second chat with uh, Philip Reese. So let's hear it right now. It is a pleasure to be able to welcome back our next guest here to the Oz Network. We first spoke with him about three years ago to talk about his time on a little show called Nip Tuck. And in that interview, we got to talking about his time on another show called 24. And in it, we said that if we ever were to cover 24 again, we would get him back on the show to talk about his time on that in a little bit more depth. And here we are today. The person I'm speaking of played the character of Razor Nair in season two, somebody who we thought was evil and turned out not to be evil. It was his, well, nearly wife, and he got shot by her. So, spoiler alert, by the way, if you haven't seen season two. Well, I don't know why you're listening to this episode anyway, but hey, we'll get to more of that anyway. Uh, Philip Reese, Phil, pleasure to have you back here on the Oz Network, mate. Thanks very much for your time once again. Hi. Hi, Ben. Hi, Colin. Good to be back. I'm glad that people actually like to return to this show because I think you're the first um, sort of non-survivor person to actually agree to come back. So, um, yeah, uh, don't know what that says about us or don't know what that says about you, Phil. Um, careful, careful, Ben. He still has time to, you know, reject you for the third interview. <laughs> True. What would that be? We'll see. I don't know. Survivors. We can add the S to oh, Survivors. Survivor. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. a great show. You want to cover that? 
Why not? <laughs> we could we could do that eventually. But um, no, we are blast learning about your time as Jude on Nip Tuck and and Colin, uh, not not a big Nip Tuck fan, so he uh, probably not really over familiar with uh, your character on that. But Razor Nair, a certain uh, type of character on on Twenty Four. We were just talking a little bit off there about kind of uh, the. The double take of we meant to believe he's evil and he's not, um, and it's of course his fiance the whole time. Do you, do you remember getting getting a script for this, sort of reading for this part when you first auditioned for the role, and kind of uh, what was your take on the character at that time when you did first read for the part? I mean, t- at the time I knew I knew nothing. They didn't give you a script. They didn't. They give you nothing but the uh, was it two scenes maybe, which were from episode one, and. Uh, you know, the year prior, I was away. I was in China doing this, the first American TV show shot in mainland China with Dennis Hopper. Wow. Flatland, which was a cross between the Matrix. Well, they said it would be something like the Matrix meets Crouching Tiger. So I'm there. I have no idea about this phenomenon that is 24. So when I come back to the US, season one is just wrapping up. And I know I just worked with Dennis and Dennis had said he had left us to go do season one, the end of season one on uh, 24. So I kind of knew about it when I, when I came back here. And then that summer I'm in Europe and I get a uh, email saying they would like you to put, put yourself on tape. And I didn't know the casting director. So I didn't thinking nothing of it. I think I was in my niece's uh, bedroom she's like six months old with, you know with all of the paraphernalia and i at the time i had my friend put me on tape and thought nothing like it was a vhs tape and you said i mean it was this is some time ago now you know and you <laughs> mailed it out and all of this crazy stuff i thought nothing of it and next minute i'm in london two weeks later and i happened to be speaking to my agent i said you know do we hear anything on that and he said you know what let me let me make a call and uh lo and behold they said no they liked what you did can you be in la whenever like it was a Friday can you be in LA for Monday I said oh okay so I did and I'm as with these things you always assume there'll be a bunch of other guys right in the waiting room even no matter how close you are to these roles and there wasn't it was just me and in arrived you know uh, every producer the writers everyone I was like oh crikey this is uh, this is for real then I guess and uh, we did a couple of takes and John Cassar did the pilot, did the episode season premiere for season two, and he did some tweaks and everything. And I thought, okay, well, if I get it, great. If not, so that was it. I mean, that's how I got it. Um, but not knowing what the arc of my character was, I didn't know where I was going, what I was doing. I assumed back then that there would obviously be, if I was of Arab descent or Persian, um, I'm sure they they were going to lean into that as a as a uh, as a story plot, and it being 24, right? You know, mm-hmm. well, see, that's, that's the most interesting thing I find about season two because season one, you know, it was felt like it was timely because it started airing after 9/11, but of course yeah. they'd started working on the show beforehand. With your season, they had 9/11, you know, in their rearview mirror already, and it almost felt like specifically with your character. Uh, there was a conscious effort made to address a lot of the uh, ideas going around in America at the time of, okay, so 
should somebody of this descent immediately be a person of suspicion and at the same time being able to play the opposite of that of uh you know well just because i look this way you know i'm not from that area or whatever uh do you know how conscious they were in creating the character to uh to really play into what was going on in the media and what was going on in the world at the time well, I know that, I mean, the character description at the time, not that I wore them, you know, it was that he was very Americanized. He had, uh, you know, he's wearing Nikes and this and that. So they wanted him to be a young businessman working with his father-in-law in America. So they wanted someone who could straddle both worlds, I think, whether it be the Middle East or, um, you know, his new world being America. But all the while you're seeing it through the filter of the events that happened. So we started shooting in August. What would that have been? August 2000, 2002. 2002? Yeah. 2000, yeah. Maybe 2002. So come on. <laughs> <laughs> Not even a year. <laughs> a brown person on screen in a drama that's where they deal with counterterrorism and espionage and all that. You're going to see this character is going to be present. You're going to, you're going to experience this character uh, in a certain way. And they knew that. And that's why they, they did that turn, right? Because all eyes are on me where in fact, it's the blonde haired, blue eyed yeah. girl who was born and raised in the Valley is, is the one. And I know that Jean Le Carre did something little sim similar. If you have read little drummer girl, um, where the uh, American girl falls in love with a, uh, would it be the Hezb Hezbollah? I think a Hezbollah kind of um, soldier, I guess. And she takes up the cause. Hmm. So that may have been that little seed of their idea as well for, for my storyline. Well, we know ultimately that, um, you know, Homeland, what, nearly a decade later kind of took yep. that a little bit, didn't they, with um, with Nicholas Brody character and, and sort of took that. So, I mean, and we know the connections between, you know, 24 and, and Homeland, of course. Uh, Howard Gordon went on to create it, you know, Homeland, because he worked on 24. So I'm just thinking just really while we're on this topic that, it was down to you that Homeland became a thing because you ultimately had that character where that was like the, the switch. And I know it was based on like an Israeli I'm, show, but I'm, I'm totally giving you credit. responsible for the success of Homeland single-handedly. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> That's right. I actually <laughs> whispered the idea to Howard. Yeah, yeah. You're like, hang on a minute. Now that you've done this idea, how about you turn it into a new show? You could get, uh, I don't know, Claire Danes perhaps to be in it, maybe? Just an idea. Mandy Patinkin. Don't know if they're available, but just, just throwing some ideas. I'll oh, think about it. Thanks, Phil. Uh, and you're still waiting for a royalty check, I'm guessing. I got No, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which I can uh, imagine at the time, though, like it, it must be very interesting when you're reading for roles at that period because – as you're saying, with a show like 24, it's expected this is maybe the route they're going to go to. And I, I don't know, like, do you kind of go into that wary that that's kind of what they're going for? Or, or I mean, is that kind of something that you want to e explore because of that period? I mean, it must have been very interesting kind of as an actor at that point going for roles where you might automatically assume that, hey, I, I'm of this certain descent. They're clearly wanting me to go down a character arc of this way because of what's happening right now. Yeah, I mean, definitely there were more of those kind of roles about as soon as 9-11 happened. I mean, it was just all of a sudden we were in demand, uh, actors of color or that looked like me. Um, but normally, yes, I would be weary. I'm always weary when you when 
you approach material like this, but because I knew the, uh, the pedigree of the guys involved in 24 and how they had executed that season one, you knew you were in good hands. You knew, I remember seeing that once I got the job, I saw the pilot. I mean, I hadn't seen the show, right? So I saw the pilot, I was like, holy shit balls, this is incredible, right? It just, it was, I was like, whoa. And it hit the zeitgeist, like no other show I, I can think of in the last 20 years. 9-11, the way with the clock, real time, handheld, it was just George, you know, George, the George W. Bush administration, all of it. It was this perfect moment of culture. And it was a, it, and it, I think maybe season one was a bit, not that it was struggling, but it, it was a huge hit in England, huge hit. And a gentleman called Jonathan Ross over there, he was a big champion of the show. And I think he even did a documentary, a mini documentary about it in the first season. And he really got behind it. And I think that, that created more of a thing here over here in the US when they realized that, you know, across the pond, like it, like it so much, but yes, with regards to, uh, roles that, uh, potentially could be what the villain. Yeah. They're, they're, you know, of course you are. It's, it's, it's in whose hands this is who, the, the, how elegantly is this written? How the, what are we truly saying? You know, are these stereotypes, are we reinforcing more of those stereotypes, those negative stereotypes? And thankfully, with my character, they did not. They didn't. They knew that, you know, first impressions and, and what are, um, you know, what, what we might perceive because of where we were back then, they played against that. And I think that was very smart of them. And, you know, you were kind of a, a, a bit of a, a turn from a character in season one, Tony, um, mm. who also was sort of set up in the exact same way. You're, you're meant to be suspicious of him for the first handful of episodes. And then all of a sudden, like, no, that was, wait, he's he not... soul, that was because he had the soul patch. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Suspicious of him. Yeah. I'm so glad you said that because that's one of our running gags that people are going to hear on this show. <laughs> I know why he has that soul patch. He told me. I said, what the... I guess in the pilot, they shot it. And, you know, most of these pilots never go to series, right? So I, I for whatever reason, he thought it was a good idea or something like that. <laughs> yeah. And the thing is, the whole show is one day. Yeah. <laughs> you can't <laughs> the thing. Well, I mean, you, you couldn't have, I, I mean, you already said, you didn't know 100% when you signed on whether your character might end up being the villain and they would just be playing on that stereotype or if uh, they could have turned it around and made you like a Tony. Uh, at what point did you find out? And uh, were you confident at least when you signed on that, you know what, I don't think that they're going to go this route and make me the main villain? No, I wasn't confident. I didn't, I didn't know. I remember early on with regards to takes, the takes of uh, each scene or a scene where what I am doing could be perceived, my intention could be perceived, perceived one way or another, good or bad, we would do different versions, you know, do the, do the kind version of Razor here, do the, oh, wow. <laughs> he's sincere or he's genuine and now do the more, you know, <laughs> not but the mustache twirling, you know, let's, let's see a little, a bit of an edge here. So that's, we had a lot of that. So in the editing, in the cutting room, they could maybe manipulate 
this performance a little more when they when the whole story kind of comes together because you never know what these other characters are doing where the story goes it's constantly it, it, it can grow organically you know a lot of the time so I did not know I did not know but I really felt with that show I felt very lucky to be on it it was a hit hit show at that time it wasn't like a show that was peaked it was that I was on it when it was red hot, you know, and they had a lot, they had high expectations for season two and they were met, we met them. So I was just glad to be part of the ride. And, but of course there'd be things that I wouldn't, but it never came to pass. There'd be things I was like, I don't want to do that. I don't feel comfortable with that. I feel, you know, I'm at a place where I would, I, I, I say that I would speak up, but that was never the case. It's so crazy that they actually use that filming technique because I think one of the things that 24 time and time again is they can use these types of characters and basically do the same thing they did with your character they did with Tony the year before. And yet it still is a surprise when you see it, whereas you should be expecting it. But being able to have those multiple takes, I mean, that must come in really handy because as soon as they feel like, you know what, I think we've made him too suspicious, the audience is going to assume that it's going to say, now let's make him nice guy again. I mean, that, that gives them so much freedom to be able to fool the audience when the audience starts to catch on to things. This smart filmmaking. It's smart filmmaking. You know, anything from, uh, you know, you want everyone to be the, the possible suspects, right? It's a thriller. So anyone in this room could be the murderer. Now, who could that? <laughs> and everyone's got a cause. Everyone's got a motive. That's great. Like who did it? Who's the spy? Who's the um, the mole? Right, that I think is what they used in in season one. Yeah, which and it's that's great. That's great drama. It's it's always been the the case, I think. Yeah, which as an actor too keeps you on your toes because you're you're learning at the same time. I I mean, ultimately, I'm sure as an actor, you want to know everything about your characters to really get in the head. But at the same point you're you're kind of taking it in a certain direction through certain episodes and then you know when you're doing these different takes as well you can kind of interpret differently so like for, for, for yourself as an actor it must be an interesting way to do that as well yeah it was it was very much because even he himself you know so much of what we do in our life we don't we don't know we don't have a grand plan where right? we are in the moment we don't know what we're going to do next week or what the decision is that we've made today how that will reflect tomorrow so it just made, I knew my character, I knew as much, you know, I made it as personal as I possibly could. And you play those scenes as truthfully as, truthfully as you can. And uh, I didn't want to get bogged down then. If they weren't, if they didn't give me a clear path of where I'm going, that's fine. I'll just be present in these scenes. I know that there was one actor who eventually had to die or something. And, you know, he was a little concerned. He wished he was told a little earlier because there was some sort of, <laughs> uh, behavioral thing and some sort of biological uh, how would you say ex experience that, that he would go through that he would have liked to have acted right uh, so wow do you remember who that was yeah but i'm not, not willing to say <laughs> <laughs> we we'll gotta think if this is 24 who died in season two <laughs> So I'm very lucky. Um, no, but again, it goes to that show. Everything, you know, most of it was handheld, right? So you're on your toes. You don't know where your bloody character's going. You're not sure which camera's shooting your close up right now or here. But I loved it. I loved working like that because you come to the set red hot. You know what you're doing. You know your lines, and let's go. And it doesn't take an hour and a half to ramp up to your close up. 
And by that time, every, you just, it's like stage play. There were very, very rarely were there marks where you have to hit a mark. You kind of choreograph the scene. Two guys with, you know, the camera, maybe a third camera on their shoulders, and you just went for it. And it was very, very exciting. Very exciting. And you didn't know if you were still around by next week. So everyone got the scopes and you go straight to the wall. <laughs> so you didn't have like a, I know when we talked to Joaquim de la Meda, he was saying, oh yeah, I knew that I was supposed to be in 10 episodes and then they extended instead of three more. So I figured I'm going to die, you know, at 13 or whatever. You weren't given any type of episode order. Was it minimum six, but he, so after six, I knew I was, you know, whatever I was doing, uh, was good or whatever the character, you know, had clicked in with the, with the larger kind of piece that they were telling. But, but I've been on shows where I've been guaranteed 10 and they've used me for seven. They'll pay you for 10. So, <laughs> but you're, but you're only in seven. So was that Nip that, Tuck? Was one of those Nip Tuck? <laughs> I did more recently, but uh, you, know, you, don't, you just don't know with what, you know, what they guarantee you and what, what you actually appear in. Even that isn't, uh, isn't a guarantee. I love hearing from the actors who have had on because we've kind of spread them out over different seasons. So, of course, ultimately on those seasons, it's a lot more developed or underdeveloped in terms of just getting used to the real-time format, you know, things like that. We spoke with Leslie Hope. It was obviously brand new at the time. They were sort of getting used to it. As we've mentioned, you know, Joaquin Delmeida, sort of Jesse Borrego, people, you know, that's a bit more of a fine-tuned machine then. What was it like on season two kind of working around this aspect of a real time are, are they very strict are they kind of concerned about things like you're taking too long to walk to the car this is only meant to take three minutes and 12 seconds you took you know things like that and and how is that sort of getting used to it that real time aspect as an actor that needs to be trained on screen as well i can't say i was conscientious of it i mean every scene regardless of whether the the con conceit is real time is being timed by the script supervisor. So every scene, once it's shot in the master, it, a, a time length is known. So you know, once that, sh that scene, the scene and the, and the episode is shot, how long these masters are playing for. So, so that's a given. So the director's gonna, you know, you go to the director, pick it up, more energy, whatever that note is to pick up the pace or, or slow it down or whatever that is. So they can modulate the, the pacing for that. But I can't say I was ever uh, conscientious. My acting changed because the show had a real time concept. Uh, I think it was just written to that, that, you know, it's, it's not a show where you're gonna just sit around and have a cup of tea. So anything <laughs> you were doing, had a real purpose. Yeah. You never so say you go to the toilet or eat or things like that, you know. He's still, he's, he must be really constipated, Jack. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or he's just got depends on the whole season. <laughs> Don't see that advertising campaign. I'm Kiva Sutherland. Yeah. My character wears depends. <laughs> Buy them right now. <laughs> You know, like what you, Ben, you were mentioning with the real-time format, uh, with season one, I can imagine 
they're not going to know, okay, this is going to equal exactly, you know, the, the right amount of minutes for the episode. And then on top of that, we need to make sure that the timelines are all right. Uh, how honed were they in writing and filming the episode? Like, was there a lot of uh, deleted materials throughout the season or was it pretty much at, by the time they got to season two, they knew, okay, this is exactly what we need. And this is exactly the order the scenes are going to get in so that we can have this work in the real time format. You know, I, to be honest, I'm not privy to any of that. I'm just not. I mean, if there were scenes that I shot that didn't appear in the show on an episode, I think there were, you know, or the, just the scenes get really get um, edited. You know, the, the, you kind of come into the scene at the last possible moment and you leave the scene at the first possible moment, if, if you, you know what that means. So, um I'm, I'm I'm just not privy. I mean, they sh the scripts were coming in at 60 pages, maybe 62, 63, maybe more. I, it's so long ago. And each page usually indicates a, a minute of screen time. Um, so, yeah, I, I wouldn't want to speak for them. I'm sure it's, it was just an extra headache, really, but, but a, probably a great headache because so much of that show works on that real... Like you got to go, you got to get from here to here and this, and how are you going to do that? So, but it, I think all of that was pretty much, so when the show, I mean, the premise of the show, when they, they know that Jack Bauer can't go to San Francisco, there's no way, you know, he's in LA. It has to be in LA. He's not going anywhere within that out of, you know, the greater LA area, that 30 mile zone, whatever that is, it just isn't possible. So they're your parameters, I guess. So they wrote to those those rules. Which, I mean, then you have um, podcast hosts like us 20 years later who then nitpick the shit out of it and realize that in season one, for example, it is impossible to get from the Mojave Desert to downtown LA in less than 30 minutes like it's portrayed. It takes about four hours. But hey, a bit of creative licensing in the real-time format there, right, Phil? <laughs> <laughs> I think they, yeah, uh, I think they, yeah, they were pulled up on that one. They were a bit more. Uh, <laughs> the traffic in LA was always great on every day. <laughs> well, I was watching Speed the other day, and you know, uh, but the bus can't go under fifty-five miles an hour, or something. Just yeah. wouldn't have reverse. <laughs> They'd be stuck in traffic the whole time. <laughs> Obviously, the, the character of, of Razor, as we said, you know, implied is evil. He's not evil. It's it's his uh, fiance Marie, played by Laura Harris. Now, you, you mentioned about sort of learning that you know along the way that you're you're not evil. Were you privy to the information that she, her character was evil? Because like I, I can imagine that that changes you as an actor in a way of like acting around who's meant to be your fiance. You're in love with this woman, but you don't know she's evil or do they keep that deliberately secret from you? So you can act naturally and you don't know that she's evil until we find out that she's evil. Essentially. They, I think they told me maybe episode six when I think they knew they were going to lean into more, lean into this storyline more where they knew we, 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 there was more story. And I'd be around. So they said, you know, by the way, it's her, <laughs> not you. But again, I know that when they cast her, Laura, who you should get on, she's delight. She she's from Vancouver, I think, originally. Oh, nice. Um uh they I think a couple of the scenes, or she had done faculty, where I think is she the villain in faculty? Do you remember this old yeah, movie? Yeah, I remember she was in that movie, yeah. And this I think she's or plays an edgy character or someone who's sweet who turns dark. So they knew she had the chops. They knew she could do it. So, uh, 
they were mindful then. Yeah. Did you uh, do any type of prep work with her beforehand or any type of screen testing or did they just throw the two of you together and say, you know what, you're going to be engaged now. <laughs> no, with Laura, no, no. I met her the first day was on set. Uh, and the, their house, just a nice bit of trivia is actually was Bob Hope's house. Oh, wow. oh really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Was he still there? <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, so, you know, the first day it was there, we had to do some stills because, you know, those photos that you need for props to show in the background. And she's an absolute delight. But, you know, with these things, and we got along great. Um, you know, with these things you kind of get to know. And then maybe on days off, I think we grabbed a cup of coffee here and there and stuff like that. So you get to know them. You know, the flip side of that is that with uh, Sarah Winter's character with your, you know, future um, sister-in-law, you guys are very combative, you know, from day one. Yes. Uh, I'm guessing that was all on the page. <laughs> yeah, I knew Sarah I had done a movie with her years ago prior to that. I didn't think she even remembered. Maybe she did. Um, so I knew her vaguely. Uh, so, I mean, even those little things are good just to just cut, cut straight to, hey, you remember we did that? Oh, yeah, how are you? How have you been? And then... It's all about, but with that relationship, I didn't want to get to know, I didn't want to get to know Sarah too much. Yeah. Because the scenes that we had really, and it was interesting when I shot those scenes, I never thought they flew. Oh, really? Sarah, I didn't, I wasn't, I'm not connecting with her. I'm not connecting. I'm not, which ended up being perfect because we yeah. don't connect. Well, that's the point, so right? Isn't it? Yeah. Very staccato, the stuff I did with her. Yeah. Um, and again, maybe I put that down to the good writing. Oh, the amazing acting between the both of you. Come on, Phil, don't undersell yourself. Come on. And Sarah Winter, shout out to her, obviously, uh, Australian, uh, great oh, actress. Um, she, she, she'd done Arnold Schwarzenegger movies at that point. So, yeah. she, you know, she was obviously uh, in, in the sixth day with that sort of stuff. I actually, I read a really interesting stat here about um, Razor and Marie, which I didn't actually realise that. M Marie ultimately kills you. Sadly, you didn't get married. Uh, ultimately, she, she shoots you. Calls you very sweet. And then you die. Um, she actually, she kills you one minute before you were meant to be getting married. Were you aware of this? <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> that I, don't know if they, I don't know if that was planned or it was just a coincidence, but I'm thinking like, wow, how a day can change. <laughs> Wasn't that dress code? Yeah. I, just, I Really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know. Like, so Jesus. where did they cut to after that? Where, where, I think that was, was the well, cliffhanger, was the wasn't it? Yeah, that was the cliffhanger. Yeah. That was the deep, deep, deep. You didn't even get a silent clock. You well, do you know what happened to me at the end of that take, that scene? I fell to the floor. I had been ill that week. I had some infection in my jugular vein. I had this implant with my tooth and I wasn't in the greatest of shape. But, you know, you rally and you sh I shot that scene. I had to fall. But by falling, I must have pulled a muscle or something. Dave, not well, <laughs> pulled some muscle and this abscess that I had that was floating around with fever and chills, it went to this, uh, the jugular vein and then immediately I kind of lost it. I went, basically went straight to hospital. The, uh, wow. So you were acting really good that you actually made <laughs> yeah. yourself nearly die. <laughs> 
Did they, and did they yeah. just think you're acting? You're there, like, on the ground, probably unconscious, like, dying. And, oh, Phil, what a take. Look at how good this actor is. He's still dead. It's, it's cut. Cut. Phil. Phil, come on. Oh, he's still going. It's the, the, yeah, there's no separation between you. Like, <laughs> Such a are. method actor. <laughs> He'll be dead for four hours. Don't worry about him. Let's go get lunch. <laughs> It is just a wonderful, wonderful group, those guys. The crew, everybody. It was just, it was a really special time. Really special time. We, we Obviously, we, you know, we have you on to talk about Nip Tuck and we, we obviously talked a little bit about 24 in that interview. But, I mean, are these roles that still, you know, now nearly 20 years on to, to really date it, um, are these ones that still sort of come up? Like, a, a, do you get, you know, 24 obviously has a huge fan base. I'd argue probably a bigger fan base than Nip Tuck. Like, do you get recognised from 24, people writing to you on social media, talking to you about your time on 24, things like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's off, often. It's amazing, these things, that the uh, the impact they have, you know. 24, Nip Tuck, and a couple of other things I've done. It's great because you always get another generation that are introduced to them. Um, I bumped into a friend now they've got a they've got some kids and their kids must be i don't know 12 13 oh, i was gonna gonna show them 24 and just show them yeah look that's you and the show and everything so yeah it's good and to be able to be with to have been part of something like that that was such a cultural moment you know uh it's great because so many times they're just roles you know they're just the jobs the parts and the ones that you've mentioned weren't. There was something more. There was there was special. And you know what? We've seen like Tony's been brought back from the dead. So maybe there's hope that uh, Reza <laughs> can come back at some point in the future, avenge did, his death. <laughs> I did pitch that idea to them. Trust me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> weren't a fan of that. Didn't even bring you for Homeland or anything. Come on. No, they didn't. No. <laughs> you basically created that show. Come on. One one thing actually. Um, I'm reading on 24 Wiki some trivia about about Razor, uh, and in the very first episode, you speak a language uh, called Farsi, if that's correct. Was that something that you already knew? Did you have to learn that for that for that script? I mean, what was sort of the idea behind that? I guess. No, I had a coach. I I don't know Farsi. I had to, I had a coach. I think I got the the dialogue or whatever the paragraph that I had to to speak maybe a week or a few days before. And I worked with a coach on that. Wow. But I'd be curious to see what per, the, a real Persian. <laughs> well, well, we, we heard your American accent on Nip Tuck, as you remember, we kind of ripped into that last time, uh, Phil. So, I mean, were you more confident on your, on your Farsi or your American accent? I would say American accent, but uh, that was... <laughs> I'm, I'm sad we didn't hear the American accent on 24. I mean, I don't know if that's why Ryan Murphy ended up casting you on it. Because, oh, he's fast. He's great. He can probably do an American accent. So um, get him on. He can play Jude. <laughs> yeah, this guy can do the accent. Accent guy. <laughs> you know, we, uh, we asked Joaquim Delameda the same question. You know, he was uh, also like in the first half of the season. Uh, but uh, when you're moved on to another project, you, do you have time to keep up with the show after your character gets killed off and see the way the rest of the season wraps up? Yeah, because I was totally invested. And I would see the guys. I would see a lot of the, the actors and sometimes the producers uh, just auditioning for other stuff or just socially. So, yeah. And I, by then I was a fan. I wanted to know what was going on. Those first three seasons were just really top-notch. Yeah. 
Yeah. And you want which may, must make it more fun than like working on a project like that where you're really invested in it because, I mean, not to take away from your other work, but I'm sure that, you know, you, you do other TV series or, you know, even movies where you've maybe not got the biggest role and you're like, okay, cool, that's enough, I'll never watch that. But to be invested in something and actually become a fan of it must make it, a, you know, extra special. Oh, there's, no, there's nothing quite like it. Booking a role, getting a role that you actually really want <laughs> that it's more than just a job that you care for that you love the role you love the story you're excited about the people you're going to work with it's there's nothing like it well you basically a role that you do for free right i'll do this for you, you i'll pay you to let me be part of this and those come along you know they're few and far between but when they do this there's nothing quite like it is there a show that is on air right now that you would, I mean, I'm not saying if producers are listening right now that you will work for free, of course, please pay Phil, but like, is there one on TV right now or, or, a, or a movie franchise that, that would be, you'd jump at right now if you could do it? Succession. I love Succession. I just think the tone of that is quite unique. Um, what else? What else do I like? See you in the Marvel, the cinematic universe. Are you a Marvel man? I'm <laughs> a, a comic, you know, Marvel. I mean, I like it, I respect it, but I wouldn't say no. But it's uh, <laughs> not not over not over the top right now. I love what Noah Baumbach does. I love uh, what the Safdie brothers are doing. You know, in that world, I think is, you know, I like I like playing characters. I find them interesting. You know, I know it's a small role too, but uh, I, I have to ask about how it was like to work with like the motion capture because you were in the Adventures of Tintin, like the Spielberg one, which by the way, that's my comic book as a child. That was like my favorite book series. Uh, so doing the motion capture, is that something new for you? Is it something you'd ever go back and do again or want to do again? Yeah, I would love to do it again. I mean, I was being directed by Steven Spielberg and Peter Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> It was incredible. It was incredible. There you are. And they dress you up in this. I'm sure you know, you know, they dress you up in like almost like a, a wetsuit. Yeah, the sensors all over it. You and you, you're working in one room. It's like a big sound stage that everything is done there. And uh, yeah, and everything is exaggerated. All your movements have to be just a little more exaggerated so they can do what they do. Um. But that was great. It was like a theatre experience again. It was like performing on stage. Everything was a little more mannered, a little more accentuated. Um, I would love to do that again. There was some, I couldn't do it. They asked me to come to Weta in New Zealand to do some more stuff for that, for that movie. And for whatever reason, I couldn't do it. It's because it was New Zealand. You didn't need to go there. That's fine. <laughs> I did not. I love New Zealand. I, love New Zealand. But, uh, I live there. I'm allowed to make jokes. <laughs> you're in Auckland? No, I was at the absolute arse end. I was in Invercargill. Uh, literally, uh, Mick Jagger famously called it the asshole of the world, and he was pretty accurate. So, Is that yeah. the South Island? The south, tip of the South Island, as far as you can go, basically. Yeah. Past, uh, past the, uh, the, the circle, the Lord of the Rings. Yep, yep. You drive a couple hours uh, north to, to Queenstown, kind of you'd be in that sort of scenic country. And, um, yeah, I mean... Saw a lot of that, but uh, no, Invercargill as, as flat as a pancake. Um, yeah, not not much to see there. Continue, 
being as beautiful if you go further the further south you go i guess not that's not the case no not new zealand uh australia yes go to tasmania <laughs> you, you, your description ben sounds a lot like winnipeg actually <laughs> yeah, <laughs> i think Vic- i could live there <laughs> in Chicago, the winnipeg of canada i would gladly <laughs> i would i would definitely uh associate the two of those you you recently were in, in shameless phil um uh anything else that you've got sort of upcoming that we can we can look forward to to seeing Right now, I'm writing daily. I'm, I've got this uh, screenplay that I'm I'm on the fourth draft that should be ready by the summer. But I'm in pre-production on a feature based on a short that I directed. So I'm looking to direct that. Something I've written. Great. It's called the Scarecrow. So that's good. That we went to Tribeca Film Festival with that. Sandra O oh was in it. So uh, we're just uh, just trying to get our cast together right now on that. Do you need any, you know, random Australians living in Canada or any people living in Winnipeg for the movie, some extras or anything like that? Or? Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. I don't have any range. I've never acted before, not since primary school. So I, I couldn't tell you what I could do, but, I mean, I look funny, so, you know. You look good. You look good. It's, I want real people. It's all about real people. Authentic. Right. Just don't let him behind the camera because we have reviewed Ben's student film on here and it is not good. Oh, I forgot I acted in that. No, I have acted. Oh, I, I can send you a recent acting credit of mine from my yeah, college send, days. Send him your reel, Ben. I want to see it. I want to see it. Oh, I, I will send it to you and you will probably blacklist me from um, coming anywhere near a production of yours ever again. So, I'm yeah. Sure you've grown, though, since then. You've grown as a, a filmmaker. Probably. He yeah. really hasn't. <laughs> I, I haven't made anything since. That was my opus. I just left it as, a, you know, perfect, you know. Colin called it the Ben Waterworth Vanity Project, which is probably true. So, you know, <laughs> I'll, I'll send you a link and I expect um, honest uh, honest feedback. One final question I want to ask you. We, I love asking this to anybody who's on 24. Obviously, you didn't share any scenes with Kiefer. You didn't really get an opportunity to be on camera with him. But were there any opportunities to like, you know, days over, go out and have a drink with Kiefer, you know, maybe go climbing some Christmas trees or something like that? I, I love hearing these stories where people get to go have a couple of drinks with Kiefer. Well, Kiefer lives down the road, or did back then, from where I live. So we we're in the same area. So, and we had the same local bar, actually. So, <laughs> of course, it really was the Silver Lake uh, here. So, uh, which is just total coincidence, right? So, yeah, there were there were a few times. I wouldn't say we were propping up the bar together, but <laughs> there, there would have been a lock in, and I would have been there with my friends, and he was there with his friends, and. It, was, it counts. Into, it counts, Bill. Just say you went drinking with Kiefer. You were in the same building. It counts. I was in the same. Oh yeah, I have been in the same building. What's uh, was a total gentleman because when I was ill in that hospital bed for two weeks, I I didn't have any uh, health insurance because I was doing some show in China without the union and all that. So it was a big old hospital bill. Kiefer found out and he wrote a letter to my union you know, in defense of like what I'm doing and everything and just saying, listen, blah, 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 blah. But anyway, so he took his time to just, he was a leader. He was a leader on set. So, and that's what he did. So I thought as, as a boss, that was a great thing. Wow. So, yeah, anyway. Yeah, well, we'll if you know, we'll we'll get out of you just what happens in the bars when you're in there at the same time with Kiefer at, at, at one point. Phil, before we let you go, um, where can people follow you? Social media, things like that. Can people stay up to date with your your work and uh, sort of your daily life if you're one of those people? Yeah, I think I'm. Am I at Philip Reese? I think. 
and uh, at Philip Reese on uh, Twitter. Great. We'll well, find on it. Instagram, uh, yeah. Philip. Reese. If you love if you love Kill Phil, feel free to tweet it out to your your followers and, and they, they can. Hey, you will I this, not. I did this podcast and this guy's pretty good in his film. Watch him. <laughs> oh God, no! Yeah, I'll be your number one fan. Yeah, I, I expect it, Phil. Mate, it's an absolute pleasure to get you back on here and talk about all things twenty four. And uh, yeah, we'll uh, the day we cover survivors, we'll, we'll make it three from three. How does that sound? There you go. There you go. Well, pleasure, gentlemen. Good luck. Keep watching. Keep watching the good stuff. And a great chat there with Phil. Much appreciate his time once again. And, of course, thanks to his management for making that possible once more. Uh, Colin, uh, what was your favourite part of that interview? I never asked you this, but fuck it. I just thought (laughs) it's something you'd ask you for once. Why not? I mean, the death scene, hands down, because you have one of these scenes that you always remember in your mind, and then you find out there's another story behind it that <laughs> will change the way you look at that scene going forward. Yeah, which is always, which always makes it fun. And also, I need to find out what this uh, local watering hole is, so that if you're ever in LA, you uh, <laughs> can uh, go along and buy me to both Phil Reese and Kiefer Sutherland maybe for a couple of drinks. A great story there too about um, Kiefer sort of uh, looking out for him when he was in hospital as well. So. Uh, we, I, I feel like people think we're like trying to be some sort of dick or controversial thing when we're like trying to bring up Kiefer's drunken stories. It's got nothing to do with that. It all comes down for our admiration for Kiefer and my weird man crush on the man. So uh, I just, I just want to know what it would be like going drinking with Kiefer because it would be the greatest experience of my life probably. So there you go. Um, we have got more interviews coming. We're, we're so excited of who we've still got to come, uh, particularly from 24 as well. And uh, obviously getting closer and closer to our uh, series recaps. Now, uh, we'll just spoil this slightly. At the time of recording this, Colin and I have recorded about 13 episodes of the first season. And pretty much all of them, I think, Colin, if I'm not mistaken, were recorded before we started interviews. So we actually... Everyone um, was. Yeah, so... Particularly when it comes to the Leslie Hope one that obviously we just did. Um, that will be interesting kind of there. But we have at least two lined up from season one, which, again, like people are thinking like, oh, my God, you've got Kiefer. Oh, my God, you've got Carlos. Like, you've got Penny Johnson, Gerald, Dennis Hayes. But, like, you're so excited for these season one. Like, these, like, anyone right now think of season one of 24 and think of maybe the most obscure characters that, you know, only yeah. the diehard 24 fans will remember. We've got them lined up. I'm not even going to tell you who they are because particularly one of them we're way too excited for. Like, we should not be this excited to have this person on this show. But I'm telling you now, as I think I said the last time we did one of these, Colin, I'm maybe more excited than if we got Kiefer on for this person. So, yeah, I, I'm, uh, I'm losing it thinking about it. I, uh, I've been teasing my brother, who's a massive 24 fan, uh, a lot of the people that we're interviewing that he'll have to wait a while to listen to. Uh, and then he's like, oh, wow, oh, wow. And then I'm like, yeah, but you know what? The one we're really excited about? And he's like, Really? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Seriously, if you if you didn't like this person before, you'll love it listening to our coverage. We're making a cult status of them. This is like yeah. Boone from Lost all over again. If you listen to our Lost <laughs> coverage, Noah and I are weirdly in love with Boone, one of the most hated, forgotten about characters in the history of Lost. I know he's Ian Summerholder, so he's gone on to much bigger things, so who really cares? But we love we fucking love Boone way too much. This is like our Boone love and this It's like Rene Russo. It is, exactly. This character literally is in what, like four episodes, five episodes? We will be remembering them and talking about them when we get to season eight. I'm telling you now. So absolutely, that's how much we love this character. Uh, but stay tuned for that. Stay tuned for everything else. Breaking Bad coming soon as well. Lost will be returning soon as well. Plenty of movies and all that sort of stuff happening. But I will end this by saying my name is Ben. 
And I can't speak that language either. I can't speak any language. I don't know what I'm saying right now. And my name is Colin, and for the last time, Ben, let's stop doing this. Thanks for downloading this episode of the Oz Network. Make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing to the podcast by Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or by copying our RSS feed into your preferred podcast provider. And while you're there, please drop us a rating and leave us some feedback. You can also be sure to stay up to date with all the latest episodes and happenings from the show, as well as finding out how you can get involved in upcoming episodes by following our social media pages on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, as well as getting everything you need under one roof at theoznetwork.net. Thanks again for listening, and we'll speak to you next time. like exclusive stuff yes, yes sir do you like having access to your favorite podcast hosts in a way like never before yeah absolutely do you wish you had access to our old survivor oz episodes that you can't find anywhere else online oh yeah if you answered yes to one two or all of those questions then get excited because the oz network is now on patreon <laughs> That's right, your favourite podcast has jumped on the Patreon bandwagon to enable a better listening experience for you, our listener. For more details, simply head to www.patreon.com forward slash oznetwork where you can sign up for as little as $3 a month. It'll be the best decision you make since that last bad one you made. (laughs)